The first Bible reading tonight comes from Psalm 39, and that can be found on page 590 of the Church Bibles. I said I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from my, all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent, I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. The second reading is Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 to 6, page 1235 of the Church Bibles. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Good evening, friends. Uh, some of you may not know me. I'm Jeremy, and I normally go to the 10 o'clock service here. Uh, I get the opportunity every now and then to come and preach. So thank you for having me. Sacrifice. That would be a pretty accepted concept in our world, wouldn't it? We admire those who are willing to sacrifice themselves, who are willing to give up things for the sake of others. Uh, every year we celebrate the sacrifice of those who've given their lives, uh, on Anzac Day at least, as well as at other occasions. Well, this year at uh, the college I work at, uh, I had the opportunity to speak at our Anzac service. And I was looking at the concept of sacrifice and I thought, well, when you look at the soldier's sacrifice, you get a sense of a little bit what Jesus' sacrifice was. Uh, following this service, a number of students complained that I had somehow said uh, that the soldier's sacrifice was less than Jesus' sacrifice. Oh, this surprised me. Uh, last term, we decided to allow students to ask questions that we would answer in chapel. 
And so uh, one of the questions that came up was, uh, and I'm pretty close, I think, to word for word for what the actual question said was, uh, did you say in the Anzac service that the soldier's sacrifice was less than Jesus' sacrifice? Because it certainly came across that way. And so I thought, okay, I need to look at this a little bit more closely. So I looked at it and I thought, well, what do each claim? What do the soldiers claim when they die in battle? Well, they claim to be dying for their friends, for their mates, for their family, for their country, for our way of life. What did Jesus claim? Jesus claimed to be dying for our sins. So I was basically saying they're different. There's some similarity, but there's difference as well. But even after saying this, I still had students who came up to me in the very next class complaining at what I'd said. It seems our appetite in our world has become so much so that we don't want to accept the idea of Jesus, of his sacrifice, of his death, and that it might have any meaning for us at all. Now, I chose a different topic to begin with today. I so could have easily started, couldn't I, with the whole discussion around same-sex marriage and the poll we're about to, or that we're currently taking part in, where it seems that what was acceptable in the past and would be seen as a reasonable argument is no longer acceptable, has to be shouted down at the first opportunity. So how should we respond to this change in our society? What should we do? I think our passage in Colossians gives us some hints, some wisdom from 2,000 years ago that still applies. Firstly, we are to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, when it comes to prayer... Uh, The scriptures challenge us, don't they? I don't know about you, but so often when I pray, it's a quick prayer. Oh, this is on my mind. Quick, God, I need to deal with this. And then if it's, I've actually set aside some time to pray, how quickly can I get through it? Because I've got so many other things to do. And it feels like at times it's only when my concerns are bigger that I come to God in prayer, almost like the Philippians prayer. You know the one? Uh, Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's my concerns. It's what I'm worried about. Good and probable right concerns, hopefully, but my prayer focuses on these. But Paul is calling us to an ongoing relationship, a relationship that shows devotion. Pick it up with me in verse 2, where he actually says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Recently, I decided to attempt to actually improve my prayer life. I got my phone and I was told about a little app. It's called Prayer Mate. And so I downloaded this app and started trying to use it. It gave me categories in which to put people, whether it be family or friends or whether it be work colleagues, uh, whether it be things that I should be praying for, church family. And I started putting people in there and then reminders would come up on various days, a little bit random so far from what I can figure, that reminded me to pray for people. 
But what amazed me is as those people came up, I may not have been thinking about them that morning, but when the point came up to pray for them, I was forced to be watchful and to be thinking, how can I be praying for that person? What do I know about where they're at? And it even put on my mind I should follow up and find out how things are going. For me, it actually helped improve my prayer life. Now, I won't say my prayer life is brilliant. I still rush it way too much. Uh, And I've always struggled with that. But we should be trying to make efforts to improve, shouldn't we? And this little app, I like it too, because it keeps directing me back to the Scriptures, giving bits of Scripture to me to remind me of what to pray for. But one that kept coming up uh, was to do with God raising up workers for the harvest field. And I, it kept coming up so much that I actually went in and changed it because I thought, okay, okay, I think I've prayed for this enough times, 20 times. But at the same time, there was a good challenge in that, wasn't there? Am I praying for that to happen? The harvest field is plentiful, but who are the workers? Well, actually, that's where Paul takes us next, isn't it? The workers, well, verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray for Paul. I've got a problem with that. He's not alive anymore. What's he saying? He's praying. He's saying, pray for the people who are out there proclaiming the message. Pray for those who are doing that, that their first thing might be an open door. We've been out a few times door knocking. I don't know whether you have. I can't say personally I've seen much fruit from it, except to raise a little bit of awareness. Uh, but it did seem to have either a neutral, maybe a little bit positive experience, generally just apathy, pleasantness. There was one guy, well, he came around from the side of the house and as soon as he saw us and we told him we were from the church, his voice went a lot deeper and in a very loud voice he told us he was the devil himself. I didn't want to go back there, we got away very quickly. But I wonder whether when we think about that type of work we envisage it as okay, the door's just open a little bit, quick slam my foot through the door, keep it open so I can talk about Jesus for as long as I like. I don't think that's what Paul means. What does he say? He says to pray for an open door so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I don't see Paul going around knocking on doors when he's in chains. He's sort of held back a little bit from that. No, he wants an open door for the message. An open door so that people will hear about the mystery of Christ and respond to it. Now, I work in an Anglican school where you could argue we have an open door. Parents sign up their children for us to teach them about Jesus. Now, most of them, I think, sign up their children to hear good morals to be taught how to live well. But the actual agreement is they've signed up to hear about Jesus. But I don't think that door is necessarily as open as we might like to think it is. 
Yes, legally I can say I can preach Jesus as much as I like. But you see, the door into the students' hearts is not always so open. Many of them come along to chapel, to our biblical studies or scripture classes, but grudgingly, because they're expected to be there, not because they want to be there. And so for the mystery of Christ, for that message to come to them, it's like we need an open door into their hearts and their minds. You see, our world of tolerance says we should be tolerant of each other's view, except if your view affects me or some concept I'm holding on to. So many of the students I deal with, when I start telling them that they need to trust in Jesus, that has an effect on them, and they don't like it. Just the other day I had a student uh, sitting at the back of a class. It was a class that I'd been given to cover, so I just had some work for them. And they sat at the back of the room, and it was a room that had like a, a whiteboard along the back of it, these new classrooms that you put whiteboards everywhere and you can write on them. And this student decided to write a few slogans. Love is love, live and let love, you may have seen them. I left the slogans there for the lesson. I let it go. I could have easily said, no, that's not what we're doing, get rid of that. No, no, I let it go. At the end of the lesson, because they got on with their work, it was okay, I thought, I went up to them as they were rubbing out their little marks that they'd made, because, of course, you need to rub it out at the end of the period. And I just said to them, oh, I'm glad you felt like you could actually put that there. That you actually felt like you could express your view and that I wasn't going to shut you down. But I actually want to listen to what you're saying. My hope, my prayer, is the next time that person's sitting in chapel or in biblical studies, that they might listen. That that door may be open for them to hear the message. It's sometimes hard. We need to hold our tongues. So often I see those slogans and I just want to go for it. Because I just can't see the logic in them. But we need to hold back so that when we have the opportunity, as Paul says, we might proclaim the message clearly. Not in argument, not in loud voices yelling at each other. No point in getting an open door to confuse things. No, we need to point clearly to Christ. So, what's Paul encouraged us to do? He's encouraged us to pray. My question is, do you pray? Do you pray for those who proclaim the gospel here at Courageong? Sean, for James, but for others, those who go into hospitals or retirement homes, those who go into schools and teach scripture, for those in the workforce, for those who go out into our neighbourhoods wanting to share the message of Jesus. Do you pray that they will be faithful to the message of salvation? I don't know about you, but on my heart at the moment is Colo High, a school which does have a Christian presence, albeit a very small one. But that Christian presence is being increasingly drowned out by a louder, far more vocal voice that does not like Christian morals at all. 
Do you pray for the families who send their children there? That if they are Christian, they would stand for Jesus, stand with Jesus, even in those times of opposition? For them, some of them feel like they're in chains. that They can't speak because they'll be shouted down. Do you pray for them? With the current climate against religious speech, the possibility that, like they feel, we could end up in chains is becoming more and more real, isn't it? We need to listen to Paul and we need to pray. Keep on praying. Is that where Paul stops? Just to pray? Well, it's important that we pray because that puts the focus on God. But Paul doesn't want it to become hypocrisy in the sense where you pray and say, right, I've done my job, I'll just get on with what I want to do. No, we still need to keep on winning the lost and it's not just going to be in prayer. God's actually going to keep using us and he tells us how in verse 5 and 6. So verse 5, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. We're called on to act wisely. Our actions count for so much. A wiser person than myself once said, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions speak so loudly. If our actions don't match up with what we believe, they won't hear a word we've got to say. How quickly do we think it's about the words? How often do we jump to words to make our point? But it should be more like this, that we're constantly amazed at the love, the generosity, the care for others shown by Christians. I'm often amazed, as I should be, at one level. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm always encouraged. I hope this is the case for all of us, making the most of every opportunity. However, I want to be careful with that. Maybe a better way to think about it is to make the best use of the time. You see, I wonder if to make the most of every opportunity uh, might mean we don't give up till we win. Do you have any plans tonight? I hope none of you are planning on getting to the football because I can keep preaching for quite some time. And, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of words. Uh, I can keep going. No, I don't think that's right. You see, I could take it to the extreme, couldn't I? And it's not going to work, is it? because you're going to probably fall asleep pretty soon. Hopefully I'm not that boring, but let's move on. You see, in the school I'm in, I make very sure or very try and be very careful that when we have a chapel where we give a talk, the talk doesn't go for much more than seven, eight or nine minutes. That's pretty short. Like a sermon in church, you're looking 20, 25 minutes, I would say, on average. Seven or eight minutes. There's times where I start and I finish and then I think, did I actually say anything? It's so short. But I recognise that if I was to go any longer, we start to lose people. I don't hear the complaint very often, if ever, oh, it's so boring and the talks are so long. Because they're over before they start, fortunately. In fact, as does seem to happen, people are challenged. They don't like what I've got to say about sacrifice. 
So I think there's wisdom there for us if there's an opportunity to actually make the best use of that, to be very wise in the way we act so that we don't overstay our welcome but that we just have the right amount of time that people see there's something different. But what about our words? I haven't said anything about us speaking yet, have I? Really? Well, Paul says a little bit. He says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In our current climate, as I look around, I do see disrespectful language being used. In the current poll, I've seen it a lot. Often from the side I disagree with, but sometimes, sadly, from the side that I agree with. But for us, our conversation is to be full of grace. I hope that means that we give Firstly, that we actually give an ear. A university evangelist that I used to work with described it like this. When he went to go and talk to somebody about Jesus, he wouldn't say much. He would just ask questions. And then he would ask the next question. And all he would do is try and follow the logic of what the person had said to its conclusion. And his conviction, his belief, was that when we do that, the position can't ultimately be held. Recently we had a guest speaker at our college who used to be an atheist. She was an assistant professor at Oxford University. She'd studied at Cambridge University. She's a doctor of philosophy and she's now a Christian. What happened? Well, when she was over in the UK, she went to go and listen to a talk by a very famous ethicist or philosopher called Peter Singer. And he does what I would describe as taking atheism to its logical conclusion. What's the logical conclusion? Well, when we look at humans, you are only valuable in terms of what you can produce, and so if you can't produce anything for society, your life is no longer worth living. It's a pretty sad view. After she heard this talk... Uh, she then went back and was disturbed. She talked to her friends that she was studying and working with and said, do you think this? And a number of them said, yeah, we actually do. They wouldn't admit it publicly, but in private, that's what they said. She decided that cannot be right. There must be value in being human. People just don't need to be done away with. And thankfully, God worked through that to bring her to trust in Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. God is working in ways that we often can't see. As we allow people enough rope, there's a sense where hopefully they can see that the logical conclusions of what they're doing don't actually work and create problems. And this makes sense with the passage, doesn't it? Our conversation is to be seasoned with salt, finding those right words to say, that right question to ask, 
which actually just pushes it that little bit further. It shows that we have a different way of thinking. That shows that we have a reason for the hope we have. Ultimately, so that we may know how to answer everyone. We need to keep thinking about this. We need to keep working at it. We need to be aware. But we need to trust God to give us the words at the right time. Paul calls on us to be ready. Are you ready? Well, because we have Christ, we know he's in control and we can trust him. You see, God is working. We're called on to trust him, to pray, to keep on praying, to act wisely and to speak graciously. Keep trusting him as we seek to win the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son. Thank you that through him we have life, that the mystery has been revealed. Please help us to keep depending upon you as we seek to win the lost. Please give us wisdom in the way we act. Please give us words to say that show something different. But please, please, please keep us trusting in you and praying to you that your word may be clearly proclaimed. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.